Okay, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the American Truck Driver Podcast. It's been a while, and I have a story to tell about why I have not done a podcast and why this is going to be kind of a special episode. Uh, decided to title it The Ups and Downs of Being an Owner-Operator, and uh, I've got my friend Dan Babbitt on here, and we're going to talk a little little trucking. We're going to talk some maintenance. We're going to talk about end frames. We're going to talk about disaster. We're going to talk about redemption. Uh, a little bit of everything. So before I bring Dan in here, I want to give you a little bit of context on my personal story. It actually goes back to September of last year, uh, or September of 2014. I had been with Landstar about five months, and I happened into a dedicated run with a customer close to my house. And it was a great deal. It paid well. It got me lots of home time. And uh, I got on it right at a month before my youngest son was born. And so it just it came at the exact right time for us as a family needing me to be home uh, with three kids and, and a newborn. But even at the time, I knew as well as this run paid uh, per mile, uh, it wasn't enough miles. It was enough for us to get by. It was enough for us to, you know, survive uh, and have me home on a, on a regular basis. I was almost, you know, a lot of times three, almost four days a week. And uh, so in that respect, it was a great deal. But having just, you know, a few months earlier or about a year earlier coming out of the disaster of having an EPA truck and all of the money that that cost us, we had not completely financially recovered from that issue. And so, um, you know, I'm at Landstar now. I'm learning how things are working. And this dedicated run falls in my lap. And so from there until February, all I did was the dedicated run. Um, and in February, I started doing some extra runs where I would you know, still be home on the weekend, but I would, you know, do an extra run here and there. I'd run up to Michigan or... I do little loads around the house. Um, in March, uh, it got really good. You know, I, I did. I went back and looked at some of my numbers, and you know, one week I did a couple of extra runs, and I had a thirty-five hundred dollar net, and I was still home two days that week. So, by by that standard, uh, things were going well, but I still would occasionally bring up to my wife and say, "Hey, listen." This dedicated run is awesome, but we've got some financial obligations and some debt that we need to get cleared up. And if I don't run more, we're not going to have the money to do that. And uh, anybody that's ever been married knows that that was the difficult conversation when I'm telling her, looking, I need to run. But she says, I need you to be here. So in June of last year, I had a minor breakdown. Uh, I had a bunch of loads scheduled to run for that weekend. And a boost sensor went out, and I stopped at a uh, at a dealer, and they they scanned the codes on it, and the guy said, uh, "Well, it's either it's either the V pod or the boost sensor." And I said, "Okay, which one do you think it is?" He said, "The V pod." I said, "Okay," so I bought a V pod. Barely made it home, you know, basically no turbo, and I got the load picked up that I was going to run that weekend. And the next morning, Saturday morning, I went and laid under the truck, changed the V-Pod, didn't help. So I had to give up the load and went into the shop, ended up being the boost sensor. It was 500 bucks, and I didn't have the money. 
I had to borrow it. And so that was, that was the beginning of the wake-up call for me, that I needed to do things different. Still, being married and trying to honor and respect my wife, um, I agreed, okay, well, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to run extra runs. I'm just going to work as hard as I can. And we're, we're going to get out of this, but we're going to do it, you know, the way that, that's most beneficial to our family. Well, uh, that, that worked great until about mid-July when the bottom fell out of the economy. And all those little extra runs that I was doing just disappeared. They were gone. Nowhere to be found. So I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? You know, now the fuel rates are, have been dropping and, and, and capacity's up and volume's down and rates are suffering. Uh, and, and, you know, now I've still got all these problems that I had before. Um, so I just kept working, kept my nose to the grindstone. And in October... I put my truck in the shop for a week to have an exhaust leak fixed. And uh, I was coming up on my DOT inspection. I was going to have to get it done. So I put the truck down. It was about $2,000 to fix it. Again, I borrowed the money. But I'm still making it. You know, I'm, I've got this dedicated run. At least I don't have to worry about that side of it. I'm getting a little bit of extra work here and there. Uh, but I have I finally told my wife, look, after the first of the year, I'm going to have to go hit the road and increase my revenue. You know, if I'm out of debt, then this dedicated run's perfect. But I've got too much on top of me that is outside of trucking. It has nothing to do with trucking that I've got to get addressed. So she kind of begrudgingly but not really uh, agreed to that. And then I started having coolant disappear. And I, I traced around on the truck. I, I couldn't smell it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see any leaks. Well, I realized that it was coming out of my overflow. So I rigged up a windshield washer jug to catch the fluid coming out of the overflow so I could see how much it was losing. And uh, this is where I, I got, got on the phone with Dan. And, we, man, we talked a lot because he's got a lot of experience with working on trucks and messing with stuff and troubleshooting and, we're trying to figure out anything and possibly everything that could be causing this. And there's basically three choices. It's either the air compressor, it's the EGR cooler, or it's a head gasket. And everything kept pointing to head gasket all the way up until December 21st when I had three loads left for the year. Uh, and then I was going to put the truck down and get what I was relatively convinced was a head gasket replaced and i had called the local detroit dealer and he was like yeah you know 3500 bucks 4000 maybe and i'm like okay i can swing that i'll have to borrow the money but i'll put the truck down i'll get the head gasket replaced and uh, uh and then i'll go from there so i'm in dayton ohio i'm on my way to chicago and i noticed the truck starts running different and my low coolant light comes on and I pull over and I throw some coolant in it and I get to Dayton and I'm sitting at a stoplight and I see white smoke, you know, coming, falling down beside the truck. And, uh, and I called Dan. I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? And he was like, well, if it's coolant, the, the smoke will fall. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's going straight now. So 
I got on I-70. I was just a little bit west of Dayton. And I said, you know what? I was talking to my mom on the phone, and I said, you know what? I, I'm going to stop here uh, because I, this is not going to get any better. And if I'm out somewhere in the middle of nowhere between Indy and Chicago and this thing goes down, I'm going to be in trouble. So I turned around. I went back to uh, Stoops Freightliner in Dayton, and I made arrangements to get my load covered, and I dropped my trailer, and I pulled around to the parking spot, and I backed the bobtail in there, and I went inside, and I got signed up with them. And, then, and about an hour later, the guy came out and tried to start it, and it was hydro-locked, which means one or more of the cylinders was full of water or coolant. And uh, had it locked, and it locked up, wouldn't turn. So a friend of mine came and rescued me, took me to his house in Lancaster. My wife came up to get me. And uh, so th then once I get home, I, I start learning that, that things are a little bit more than a head gasket. And uh, we'll get into a little more of detail of that uh, in a minute. So let's go ahead and bring Dan in here. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. I'm glad to be back on. Yeah, so, uh, wow, we've had some conversations over the last couple months. Uh, I, I have absolutely worn you out, I'm sure, uh, with all the different questions I've had. But, you know, you had a, a similar situation with your uh, ISX uh, that ended up being pretty similar to what happened to my truck. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? That'll give us some context uh, for, for when we get to talking about my engine. Okay. Yeah, I had uh, pretty much the same problem. Yours was a little bit worse. We'll get to that in a second. I had a 2006 Peterbilt with a Cummins ISX EGR motor, basically the Cummins version of, of your motor, uh, EGR, but no DPF and no other emissions. And um, same symptoms, my cooling system was being pressurized by combustion gases. Um, due to a blown head gasket and it would puke coolant you know it would blow it out of the overflow tube and um it actually happened to me three times and on that third time after the major repair when it started to do it for the third time i said i've got to get rid of this truck it's just going to keep doing this over and over and that was it i sold it was it the was it the first or second time you were telling me when you bobtailed at home from was it Phoenix? You tried to get actually, it to <laughs> this engine had a had a horrible history. My first uh, problem with the truck was a cracked uh, head, and that may have been due to I, this was um, gosh four or five years ago. I had one of the very early PDI EGR deletes. Um, it was a software delete. Uh, all the hardware was still hanging on the engine, the EGR, the EGR cooler, but it was turned off in the software and, um, it ran, it ran like a beast, but PDI is kind of known for just cranking up the fuel to make horsepower. It made a lot of black smoke and, um, I think it just ran too hot and it cracked that head. So um, I actually bobtailed it from Phoenix to Denver. I can't remember how many miles that, that is, but uh, it's not a short trip. We'll, we'll say that. Yeah. 
and got it home. It was a uh, Labor Day weekend. I, I had no, I had to be home. Had no other way to got home, get home. I knew if I kept enough oil, um, you know, I had water coolant getting into the oil, but if I kept it, uh, you know, enough, enough oil, I, I kept putting, I think I put three, four gallons of Lucas in it to thicken up that oil that it would get me home and use, I think I used somewhere around 10 gallons of water. At that point, I'm just pouring uh, wow. distilled water into it. Uh, but, yeah, I made it home. Um, the oil must have thinned out a little bit. It ate a cam. But uh, I had already decided at that point uh, it was going to be an in-frame because on an ISX, it's seven to $9,000 to put a head on one. But um, at that time, they had a $12,000 special on an in-frame at my Cummins dealer in Denver there, and that came with a two-year warranty. So that was kind of a no-brainer for me. But yeah, I bobtailed yeah. it home, and uh, that was the first go-around. Um, that was a full in-frame, and uh, it ran for, I want to say, well, uh, I have to back up. It ran for about a week and blew the head gasket. Uh, number four liner had sunk into the block, and the liners protrude above the deck of the block, and when you bolt the head down and it clamps the head down to the block, it the liners stick up a little bit and they press into the head gasket. That's what makes your combustion seal. If the liner sinks down into the block, you no longer have a seal on your combustion chamber and that high pressure very hot combustion gases they will find the weak spot and then you have a blown has head gasket that's so did they not did they not drill the counterbores when they did that first in frame Th they did not do that you know everything supposedly checked out at that point so uh they just put the new liners in and called it good and literally I think it, it was a week later. Um, it, it, it flash overheated on me one night pulling uh, Mon Eagle. And on the downside, I got it stopped and uh, got it cooled off and put some water in it. And uh, it was good for another four or five days. And then it, then it broke loose, you know, after that. And got it into another Cummins dealer. And... Uh, they found the the liner that had sunk again, um, pulled pulled the liner, you know, re repaired that one liner, and uh, new head gasket, everything. And it went for about a year before it gave me any more trouble. But the whole time, it was giving me little signs that uh, probably a lot of people would miss. But I was uh, really paranoid about the engine, so... You know, it, it would blow coolant out just just a few drops every now and then, and I ended up using a uh, a clear twenty ounce Coke bottle mm -hmm. as a catch, uh, so I could monitor what was coming out. And you know, sometimes it would go a week; it wouldn't blow any coolant out, and then it would uh, blow half a bottle out. You know, ten ounces or so for no reason. So uh, and, you know, having I've heard bits and pieces of the story, but I've never heard of in that in that order, in that detail, I'm sitting here wondering, well, if they would have just counterbored all six cylinders, it couldn't have just been that one of the other liners, you know, when you said the third time around, it just was one of the other liners that could have sunk or began to sunk if they would have just drilled them all the first time and like they did eventually ended up doing to mine. 
Um, well, the second time is when they did do all six counterboards. Oh, okay. They did do all six. Okay. Yeah. So the third time when it happened again, and that was only just a couple of months after they did the counterboards, and it happened again, and it was given me, I was so in tune with the engine, uh, I could almost tell by by sound when I was cranking it up, I could hear the exhaust gases passing from one cylinder to another. There was a, a, a chunk of head gasket burned out between number four and number five cylinder. And if I cranked the engine, I could hear the gases swapping, you know, you just hear air rushing. And uh, they thought I was crazy, but I absolutely could hear it. Um, that was the second time it happened. And then the third time when I could hear that again, that's when I got rid of the truck. Uh, and, and, but it was still running and not, not burning any coolant at that point, but it was, it was blowing it out after hard runs. Um, yeah, that, and that's, that's, you know, why I wanted to include, you know, the story of that truck along with the story of mine. Um, you know, we both know being, being an owner operator is a lot more than shifting gears and turning wheels and, and keeping a profit and loss statement. You know, we, we have both, uh, I've become quite the mechanic, uh, I, I've always been kind of mechanically inclined, a little bit of a gearhead, but you know the stuff that I've learned just in the couple years of having this truck, and and like you said, being in tune. Um, I ended up calling Kevin Rutherford's radio show uh, when I got the final estimate on my truck, and I said, "Kevin, do I put this money in this truck?" And he said, "Absolutely, because you know every creek." And noise, which I've noticed since I picked it up, uh, there's a lot less noises than there used to be. Uh, it's amazing how much you know quieter an engine is when it's not getting ready to come apart. Um, so uh, you have to you have to be willing to listen to this machine and uh, and every bit of feedback that it gives you because sometimes that's the only. It's it's the difference between finding a problem and not, you know. And we give mechanics and and techs a hard time. Some of them deserve it, but at the same time, I watched these guys up here in Dayton, and they were great. They were they were awesome. Um, but you could you could hear the apprehension in their voice because they have to say, okay, is this guy have any clue what he's talking about? Is he? just going to you know blow smoke up my rear end um about what's wrong with this truck because you got to figure most of the drivers that come in don't know the head gasket from the fuel tank you know this this don't have a clue uh and and probably sadly even some owner operators um don't even know what's going on with their own trucks and they said well bring it to me you know here fix it well if you can't give them the proper feedback and if you can't have a you know, I can't go in frame a truck, okay, but I know what a liner looks like now, and I know what the liner does, and I know what the pistons do, and I know the relationship between the head and the valves and the cam and the bull gear, and I understand the basics of my truck that I can at least have the vocabulary to speak to someone, even over the phone, and say, this is the truck I have, this is what it's doing, can you help me? Um and so it's it's you know it's incredibly important just to learn as much as you can because if you don't know at least the basics 
then the most important tool in figuring out what's wrong with the truck, the driver's missing. It's just it's just not there. So uh, so now I'll get in a little more detail about what happened to my truck. So so we know we've got a or you know we believe we've got a blown head gasket, and pretty much by what the truck did uh, right before I put it down, pretty much confirmed that it was a head gasket. And so I go home, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, <clears throat> this is five grand. If it stays under five grand, I'll live to fight another day. So I get home on Tuesday, and this is like the week of Christmas. Breaks down on the 21st. So they said they were going to try to get it in on the 22nd. Well, they finally did on the 23rd. And the guy says, hey, you're going to need an in frame. And I'm like, hang on just a minute. Just slow down there. I said, look, man, I, I, I got this. Uh, it's just a head gasket. Um, I told him everything they'd been doing, and he actually agreed with me. He's like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. And he said, well, do you want us to take the head off of it and check? And I said, yeah, take the head off, and then we'll measure everything. And he talked about liners, and he said, we'll get everything measured out, and then we'll tell you. And I said, okay. So then it's Christmas, and they're off. And so, like, the following Monday, they call me, and they say, okay, uh, yes, you have to have an in-frame uh, liner protrusion is out of uh, is out of tolerance, and he says, "Here's the the tolerance." And he says, uh, "We'll try to have you an estimate done, I think by the by the by New Year's." And I said, "Okay, all right, fine." So New Year's is what on was on a Thursday, and so now I'm thinking twelve, you know, because I talked to Dan, and Dan had had one done for twelve. And, you know, I'm all over Facebook and I'm asking questions. But I had 12, 15 grand. If, if 15 grand happens, I'll probably live to fight another day. So then we get to the following Tuesday and the estimate finally comes in. Now, on Monday, well, let me back up. The Saturday after I got home, my wife and I went to meet with our pastor because I got 400 bucks to my name and stock of bills. And uh, I was just worried about, well, I was worried about my wife. You know, I, I've been on the road long enough operating as an individual. I can kind of work through anything. But I just wanted us to have that time to, to talk to somebody about the situation we were in. So we said we had a good talk with them, and they kind of calmed us down. and said, look, you're going to be all right. You know, we'll – We'll find somebody to help you. Or, and we're like, okay. So we're still thinking $5,000 repair. Well, then we find out a couple of days later, no, $15,000. i am like, okay, $15,000 I, I can handle. I'm preparing myself. So the following Tuesday comes, and I get an estimate for just a few dollars under 24000 And I said, uh, okay, we're done. This is, this is over, okay? I, th- this is not going to happen. Uh, I put the truck for sale on Craigslist as is, seventy five hundred bucks. Um, I talked to a couple different places about trading it. You know, I, I had a couple of viable options there, uh, but that was you know a fifty thousand dollar solution to a twenty thousand dollar problem. And I thought, okay, well maybe, maybe this owner operator thing is over for me. You know, maybe I, I'm gonna have to go buy a company truck or, I mean, drive a company truck and save up my money or get a job or maybe I'm going to go do something else. I, I I had no idea. Well, 
the cool part of this story, and I'll go ahead and this is probably not, you know, uh, the right order to make things suspenseful, but I'll go ahead and tell the good part. So on the Monday, the day before I got the estimate, I had talked to my wife about doing one of these fundraiser website things. And uh, I said, what do you think about this? I said, because we're broke. Um, we we got to pay rent. We got to have food. We got to keep the lights on. And so I'd, I'd asked my pastor, I asked a couple of friends of mine, what do you think of this? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. It's not going to hurt anything. So on Monday, I'm going through all the steps to write out this uh, this fundraiser and try not to sound like a tool, you know, uh, and, and say, look, I've got a legitimate problem here and we need help so we uh we did that and and i had i had told my pastor about the uh the end frame the, the first idea of it and he was like well you need a miracle and i'm like yeah i sure do and he had told us he said look you know you're you're gonna have to hit your knees you're gonna have to pray for somebody to come and and help you in a way that no one else could or would and uh so we did that and uh so so Tuesday, we get the estimate, and then, you know, $24,000. We're like, well, we have no choice. So we posted it on Tuesday night. On Wednesday morning, I get up, and I've got a message on Facebook from a guy I've been Facebook friends with for five years, but I've never met, never heard his voice. And he says, call me. So I called him, and he says, listen, I was talking with my wife, and he said, uh, he said I believe we're supposed to help you. And I said, you, you're okay. And he said, so uh, we're going to give you $24,000. And at this point, my wife, I'm sitting at the kitchen table, my wife's walking by, and I just grabbed her hand, and she looks at me, and I'm bawling, crying like a baby. And uh, he says, we're going to gift you an amount of it, and then we're going to, you know, do like a loan for the rest of it. So he gave us $2,000, and uh, I signed a promissory note with him for 22000 um, and the check came and cleared and, and, uh, I ended up going up and picking up the truck and, and all together, uh, from the time we posted the fundraiser to now, including the loan, we have been given $30,000, just people just saying here, you know, dude, I don't know if I told you this part. So my wife drops me off last, was it Friday? Thursday. She took me up there to get the truck. I still don't know what the final bill was going to be. That's going to be another lesson we'll tell in a minute. I didn't know what the final bill was going to be, so I couldn't leave the house with a cashier's check. And they're like, well, just bring a personal check, and we'll verify it. I'm like, okay. So we go up there, and, and we pull on the lot, and my wife says, all right, stop. And she, she decides she, we're going to have a little word of prayer. She says, says, I need this bill to come in under 20000 so that the rest of the money will have a cushion as we get the truck back up and rolling. And I agreed with her. So I sat there a little while. She had to leave to get back home to the kids, and the guy walks in with the bill, and he goes, all right, I got your bill ready. And I said, well, are you going to shock me? And he was like, well, I don't know. And he hands it to me. Y'all, it's $19,997.20. And again, I'm sitting there bawling like a baby in the Freightliner shop. But this whole, you know, this whole experience from start to finish has just been incredible. It started when the truck broke and I finally was out of control. I, there was no, nothing more for me to rearrange. There was nothing more for me to, to, to try to fix. I was, I was done. I was out of the picture. And I don't, I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. I, I, don't do, I don't do trust and wait very well. 
So we we finally get up there and and we get the truck picked up. And you know we'd gone through all this to to ju- just understand. I guess I understand better now that I'm supposed to be an owner operator right now, um, and I'm and I'm supposed to I'm supposed to do something good with it, which is what I'm gonna try to do with this podcast. Um, because I you know I could have been driving I could be driving for Swift right now I guess you know um, if the door would have closed in my face I would have been done. So we went through all of this, um, and it's it's just been – I still can't really put it all into words. I mean, the, the way people have stepped up uh, – now I remember the, the point of saying all that. When my wife got home, you know, she drove 200 miles up there to drop me off, and then she drives 200 miles back home. And uh, she meets her mom, who was keeping our kids while she was gone, at Bob Evans back home. And so they get ready to get the bill, and they tell the waitress, say, hey, uh, can you bring us our bill? And the waitress says, no, I can't. Somebody already paid it. And they're, like, trying to look around and see if anybody they had no idea. Somebody just paid for the bill at Bob Evans. You know, I, just dude, there's just so many bizarre things that have happened uh, to me in the last 26 or 27 days. Um, I'll never be the same. I can tell you that. So anyway, let's get back to the mechanics of this for a minute. When they first told me, you know, as soon as they said liner protrusion, I went back to our, you know, our conversations about your truck. And I wanted first to kind of know if, were they blowing smoke, you know, were they just trying to get an end frame out of me. But the more I went over it and and even tried, you know, I'm trying to cut costs, and I'm like, well, let's, you know, let's reuse the head. Let's reuse the rockers. And then they were like, no, you don't want to do that. If you reuse the stuff, you're not going to get warranty coverage. So I ended up getting what's called a Step 2 Detroit warranty. I think it's a one-year, 100,000-mile. Um, but I got new pistons, new liners. Uh, all the counterboards were drilled. I got a new head, new rockers, new cam, new – Injector cups. They reuse my injectors. I guess they probably read you. You reuse my Jake heads, right? I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sitting here now, and I, and I've got this truck, and it's back, and I, and tomorrow I'm gonna pick up the first load that I'm gonna run with it, and, and I'm gonna get back into the swing of things. And uh, you know, I I admit I'm a little nervous. I was real easy. I had to bobtail over to Indy to pick up a trailer, and then I just deadheaded home because of the weekend and. I was kind of nervous. The further I drove with it, I've put about 450 miles on it now. The further I drove with it, the more comfortable I got with it. And I had to, uh, I dropped my trailer and uh, my pastor's letting me park the bobtail, the tractor at the church. So I've got a place to plug it in to the block heater. And so when I dropped my trailer and headed for the church, I got on the exit ramp or the entrance ramp and I kind of let it eat a little bit. And I got it up to 75 before I got to the end of the ramp. So she's running pretty good. Uh, um, but so let's – okay, let's do this. Let's shift into talking about preparation because that's one thing. You know, I could have been prepared to be off a month and should have, and I, and I sh- could have and should have been prepared for a $5,000 bill. Um, I, I should have and could have been prepared for what I thought – 
was the problem. There's no way for me to foresee a $24,000 engine bill because with 850,000 miles, I believed everything in me that I had three or 400,000 miles left in this engine before I was going to have to inframe it. So, you know, depending on your background and where you came from, you know, my parents are not savers. They're spenders. So I never had a, I never had a saving model. So I'm not much of a saver myself. But as you go through, you know, what, what do you think going forward for me as an individual or for anyone else that's listening, how do you think we should be preparing ourselves for what is around the corner that we don't see coming? Well, the way I see it, there's one of two ways, and let me back up before I get to those. Um, I think the game is changing a little bit with the trucks we have today. You know, our, our the owner-operator business model for years and years has been, oh, you should be able to get over a million miles out of your engine. Um, Cat, Cummins, Detroit, doesn't matter. Since the late 80s, early 90s, they've all, for the most part, been million-mile-plus engines. In my opinion, and I don't really have any hard data to back it up, but in my opinion, I think the game is changing a little bit and it seems like there's a higher percentage of the engines that don't make it past a million like uh, yours and mine which by the way uh, needed that in frame at uh, 521,000 miles wow that's uh, that's all it was on the engine now it didn't really need the in frame but like I was saying earlier it was 9000 to put a head on or 12000 to do an in-frame and get the big warranty. And it was using a little bit of oil, so it just was sort of the, the, the no-brainer for me. But back to what I was saying, I think the game is changing a little bit. Number one, we've got all the emission systems now that make it so hard to diagnose problems because they just add so many variables Plus, they're recirculating carbon back into the engine, EGR, exhaust gas recirculation. Well, exhaust gas contains a, a lot of carbon. That gets back into the oil, and it can wear things out a lot sooner. Now, don't get me wrong. There are still plenty of engines making it over a million miles, you know, e EGR engines, emission engines. But it seems to me that less and less of them are making it that far. Um, that was one, one thing. Other, one other. That was one thing that the guy, one of the guys up there, I was talking to that was really knowledgeable, and that's one thing he said. He said, "You got to understand, we're taking, it's cooled, but you're still taking hot gas, and introducing it to the intake. You know, no matter how much you cool it, they're cooler. You're still introducing this, this hot gas into combustion." And, and he said, when you're doing that, you're just, you're not going to get, you're going to get the bizarre things. Like you said, they're hard to diagnose, but you're going to also get those bizarre things that are happening um, at combustion uh, that just either the engines aren't, aren't strong enough to handle, or it's just, you know, physics coming into play that's making things more difficult than they should be. Right. And, you know... The, the engines actually had to get a little bit bigger to compensate for the struggle of having to re-ingest that exhaust gas. The, the Detroit went from 12.7 liter to 14 liter. 
Cummins, they, they got away from the N14, 14 liter, and they came out with the, uh, the ISX, which is a 15 liter. And that was because uh, even though that first generation of ISX didn't have EGR, they were getting ready for it. They knew what was coming. And they knew they had to build a little bit bigger engine to compensate for that, that exhaust gas, which is uh, it's a power robber. But back to the, the, the original question for, for me, I, I think that the engines are not living as long as they used to. And there's one other reason I have for that. Um, we know that certain years of ISXs, they eat cams. They're known for it. They crack heads. Now we have this, this liner problem, which seems to getting, be getting more and more common with all three, Cat, Cummins, or Detroit. Uh, where the liner sinks down into the block. In some cases, it actually wears the block. Uh, and in your case, which was extreme, once the head gasket blew, it actually eroded a channel um, from the from the head uh, from the, the the fire ring of the head gasket all the way to one of the water jackets. So it was blowing combustion pressure into your cooling system. Um, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling that somewhere around, I don't know, 2002, that's when we start to see more of these problems with Cat, Cummins, and Detroit. I have a theory that they might have tried to cut a few pennies on metal quality, the actual iron that the blocks and heads are cast out of. Uh, for one thing, um, Cummins switched manufacturing to Mexico at that point, and we know that uh, quality control is not as important down there. We see that across the board on everything from auto manufacturing to industrial equipment. Uh, again, I have a theory, and I've been talking to some people in the industry uh, to see if if anybody's kind of coming to the same conclusion that I am, but I have a theory that the quality of the metal, um, nickel, nickel content in the cast iron is one of the important things. And I, I'm, I'm into old muscle cars. I've, I've been into old muscle cars for year, years, uh, kind of restore them, uh, dabble, kind of a long-term hobby. And one of the things that I'm aware of back in the, early 70s they actually they did the same thing they tried to save a few pennies on uh the metal that they cast the blocks and heads and everything else out of well we know now 40 years later um that uh you know a a, a chevy 350 engine from the late 70s is a softer block it has less nickel cast into it and everybody all the gearheads know stay away from those engines. If you can get an early 70s or late 60s, that's that's the cream of the crop. Harder metal. Yeah. Uh, so, so I have a theory that they may have been trying to do this, and that's why we're seeing these problems. Like I said, the ISX is eating cams, and the liner protrusion problem, um, that is a catastrophic uh, $24,000 problem, like, like, you know, at least that's what they quoted you. Yeah. And we're not really, 
ready for it in a lot of cases because, again, it seems to be kind of a newer problem. We didn't hear about uh, problems with the liners sinking down into the blocks, you know, 20 years ago. So earlier I said, to me, it seems like the game is changing. Well, that's what I'm talking about. It seems like our repairs are getting deeper, worse, more costly, et cetera, et cetera. And just so many owner operators don't, don't seem to be, to be prepared for that. And in this economy, how can you be ready for a $24,000 repair, you know, or even yeah. 20000 So that's one of the points I, I kind of wanted to make. Um, the way I see it uh, in the market these days, uh, I see three different ways of, of being an owner operator and running your business. Um, number one, get yourself a nice new shiny truck provided that your uh, business model can support the extra cost of maintenance, which um, by pretty much all account these days is between 15 and 20 cents per mile. Contrary to popular opinion, um, the new trucks actually cost more to maintain with all of the emission systems. Uh, The DPF in particular, having to get your DPF replace and or cleaned out uh, occasionally. It's not cheap. And then, of course, we know, you know, all the problems that go with the EGR, the emission systems, all the computers, the sensors. Um, even even when you uh, even when your warranty covers it in the beginning, you know, it doesn't cover the downtime and the lost revenue. Um, the second way would be to run an older truck, uh, preferably a pre-emission truck that doesn't have all those problems, and find yourself a good shop to keep that older truck in tip-top shape, which uh, may require an investment, you know, a little bit of investment. Say if you, you get that older truck, you know, maybe something with close to a million miles or even over a million miles, uh, you know, you might buy it and have to put a little bit of money into it to kind of bring it up, uh, get it into, you know, better reliable shape uh, in the beginning. But once you take care of some things, you know, keep it reliable, find yourself a good shop. That's kind of hard to do these days as far as finding a shop. Um, it just seems like there's so many shop these days that uh, they've got them lined up around the block uh, for repairs and they they can charge you uh, pretty much name their price and they don't care if uh, they get your business or not is almost how it seems these days. Um, I think maybe there's just so much to work with all the problems the new trucks are having that uh, – they really don't need your business. They've they've got somebody somebody else's truck to work on. If if you don't uh, want to bring your truck to them, um, so the third way um, is to run that older truck and learn how to do the repairs yourself. Uh, you know, not the major stuff like in frames and transmissions and rear ends, but you know, a lot of the things that you can do yourself, um, it, it's not 
all that hard if you're mechanically inclined at all it's amazing what you can find on YouTube videos that'll show you how to repair I've seen everything from kingpins to do your own brake jobs to uh, rebuild your own uh, fuel pumps you name it it's it's on the internet it's on YouTube um, I watched a guy do a video of kingpins and one thing that struck me about that is, you know, when it comes to suspension and brakes on these trucks, we're really talking about technology that's decades old. I mean, it's not, um, it's not sophisticated. It's just big, you know? And I think that scares a lot of people off because it's big, but it's really not at least in my estimation from what I've seen, it's not, uh, you know, it's not complicated. It's just old pins and bushings and drum brakes and, and stuff that, you know, cars had on them 40 years ago. And, and now, you know, we're still using it. Absolutely right. Cars, cars were built that way 40 years ago. So were the trucks. They're just still built that way it's only the very new trucks within the last five years that are starting to come with disc brakes now as a uh, it's not even a standard option yet but um last i'd heard it was about 50 percent of the trucks just in the last couple years are now being equipped from the factory with disc brakes it, it's really taken the industry a long time to catch up for for some reason but yeah the drum brakes and and really all the components of the truck other than the engine, because of all the emission systems equipped to the to the engine, um, all the all the hardware, you know, the rear ends, the suspension, the uh, brake system, it's all very basic and simple. It, it's big, but uh, it takes big tools. That's that's really the only difference. Yeah. Um, you might have to, you know, invest you know, three, four, five hundred dollars in, uh, in some, some tools, but, um, it's not hard to work on. It's easy to learn. You learn how to do brakes on one truck and you can do them on any, any kind of truck with air brakes. Um, and you know, the same goes for all the suspension. The only thing that kind of complicates it on the, uh, some of the middle-aged trucks like, uh, let's say, like 03 to 07, 08, the trucks that um, are flooded on the market. You can you can find those like trucks mine. for sale every, everywhere you look. Yeah, yours is a good example. Um, those trucks are kind of in the middle, fully. They don't have um, all the modern computer sensors uh all the emissions like a brand new truck has it's so much worse with the brand new trucks a friend but of mine they, it was zeke he's been on the show before he he had a cascadia mm-hmm. and had a uh oh what was it some kind of light issue where on my truck or your truck you simply would have changed a bulb or a or a little harness mm-hmm. but it has a it has a light control module and it was like it was, exactly. you know, I don't, it was a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars for this light module. Uh, that's Just one of to the get things. a light to work. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes cars cool. 
with all you know like our minivan for example you know the lights dim and then they come back on and you know uh, that that's the kind of crap they can keep in cars we don't need that in big trucks exactly um that's what i was getting at those you know middle-aged quote-unquote trucks roughly 03s to 08s um They've got your light module, your cab control module, your this module, your that module. You don't have a switch wired directly to a light. It talks to a computer first, and then the computer tells the light what to do. Yeah. Everything now, all the all the new trucks, you know, 2012, 2014, 2016, whatever, they all have that now. You just can't get away from it. Oh, three through 07, they were starting to integrate that in, and Volvos are kind of way ahead of the curve. Volvo um, had the control modules on every end of the truck, I think, um, somewhere around ni- 1998, 1999. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> all the others, Freightliner, Kenworth, Peterbilt, International, um, Anything built before 03, kind of along the lines of when emissions, you know, when EGR got introduced, anything built prior to that, it's very simple. You know, you just have that switch wired directly to the light or the horn or, you know, whatever it controls. There's no computer in between it. So diagnosis and repair is a thousand times simpler. So, again, it's not just the emissions in the egr and the dpf you also have to consider with the older trucks the benefit of you know not having all those computers on board doing doing who knows what um so kind of to recap just covered three different ways that uh an owner operator can uh run his business these days um First one being, you know, the, the nice new shiny truck uh, that comes with, you know, the, the big truck payment payment and the higher cost of operation, higher cost of uh, maintenance and repairs. Um, average uh, industry reports on the cost of maintenance right now for the newer trucks is... Um, 15 to 25 cents per mile the cheapest cost of operations for the guys with the old trucks that do all the work themselves all the repairs those guys are getting away for five cents a mile on all maintenance and repairs so the difference between you know 20 cents a mile and five cents a mile that's 15 grand a year oh yeah um and then of course the the guy in between, the model in between, is running that older truck, but do the hard work and, and find yourself a good shop that you can trust and rely on and, you know, has a decent rate. So many shops are $150, $140 an, an hour uh, these days, so it's getting harder to find the shops that are, you know, still around 100 or, or maybe even less. Um so each each one of the three ways that I've covered there, you know, they all have their challenges. Um, but it just kind of seems, for the most part, that's uh, that's what we've got to work with these days. Um, kind of going back to what I said a little earlier in the podcast, it it sort of seems like the game has changed. Um, 
the days of go buy yourself a truck, make your monthly payment, and it's a million-plus-mile truck that runs and never gives up and really never gives you any problems, those those days just seem to be gone by the wayside. So um, that's been my experience. I've actually done all three ways that I just talked about. Uh, I've had a new truck, a, a lease truck, and I experienced that high maintenance cost. I've had the middle-aged truck and relied on the shops to keep me going, and now I've got the old dinosaur truck and... I do just about all the work myself, and for me, that works the best, um, but, you know, it's uh, just really dependent on how how you want to do it, so. Well, and it's, you know, it's difficult, you know, uh, it, it's a harder road, but it has a better result. You know, I, I started out in a lease truck because I didn't have... Uh, <clears throat> I didn't have any capital. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any money. I, I was driving a company truck making 700 bucks a week trying to support a family. And doing a lease was the easiest way for me to get my foot in the door. And then I learned through that, um, you know, I, I sit and think if I had it to do over again, knowing what I know now, would I have bought this truck? Probably not. Um you know, but I was in a desperate situation with an EPA truck that, you know, I wasn't making any money. And my only choice other than buying the truck I'm in was to go lease another EPA truck. And I, I just wasn't doing that. Um, you know, probably which what I, what I tell guys now, um, if I had it to do over again and I could somehow know what I know now, I probably still would have done the lease truck, but I would have been a lot more proactive and a lot more vigilant to keep living on that $700 a week because we were making it, you know, and then we started making big money, uh, with the lease truck and, and adjusted our lifestyle. Um, when I came out of that lease, the way Anderson's was set up, you got a $4,000 bonus check at the end. Well, there's a little less than half of the seed money that it would take to buy a good used truck with good bones uh you know because i cash flowed most of the repairs and stuff that i did to my truck um you know just off of running it so you know if i would have saved up five or you know eight thousand dollars and had that lease completion money or even you know i did i leased that first truck for two years that means i got two completion checks so you know i had eight thousand dollars at the end that I got in completion checks. And if I would have just saved, you know, $300 a month, uh, times 24, uh, and had the, the lease money, I, I could have went and bought a real nice truck for, you know, been old, but I, I could have bought it for cash. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I would do knowing what I know now, you know, it's, it's always easier to, you know, see things after you've gone through it. But, you know, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's the course I would take. And, and it's, I mean, it's still an option on the table for me, um, to, you know, either sell this truck or, you know, try to save up money and buy another truck and, and have it, uh, you know, sitting back to the side and, and build it up and then be ready and then sell this truck and get into an older truck. But, 
mm-hmm. you know, when I think about everything that I've gone through with this one, the idea of having, you know, an old FLD or an old classic or even an old 379 Pete or T600 uh, that doesn't have all this crap on it, uh, what, you know, it's tempting still, you know, but yeah, I, I've, I know, you know, this truck should be good for me at least for another year. And that's about how long it should take me to get out of debt. Once I'm there, then I can make a lot of different choices, but I, I've got to right. put first things first. Right. But regardless of, of which way, you know, what works for you or works for, for anybody else, um, you've really got to have your, your savings. Um, you know, before we said, uh, you know, who can be ready for that $20,000, dollars $20, repair bill, you know, when that unexpected in-frame comes. But you've got to get yourself... Uh, you know, financially ready for that as as much as you can. Even if you don't have the cash, all that cash, you know, you may have your your backup plans. You might be able to go to the company that you're leased to and get you know three or four thousand here, you know, three or four thousand there, you know, yeah. beg, borrow, and steal from you know everybody you know. Basically, um, we've all got our support systems, but you've got to have your your uh really bad day plan you know for that when that really bad day comes that uh you just went through yeah um if if you don't have that no matter how you run the truck if you don't have that you're playing with fire and it's always been that way um you know cars trucks no matter what it is uh any type of equipment you know it's always going to break down it just seems like the cost of the repairs, the shop rate, the part, the price of the parts, the complexity of the the engine systems with all the emissions, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So it it seems like not having that that backup plan for that major repair, uh, you're, you're just playing playing with fire if you don't have something in place uh, now more than ever. But when it when it, it hits you all up front and it's twenty thousand dollars, that's a different story. And who can be ready for that? Yeah, and I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, if if somebody bought this truck off the lot in two thousand seven, and you said, okay, now put two cents in your pocket just to cover the motor. You know, everything else is extra. But you know, in eight hundred fifty thousand miles, you're going to need a complete end frame. It's going to be twenty grand. Um, I think. They would have said, well, you're insane. There's no way it'll cost that much to in-frame a motor. Well, I got the paperwork to prove it. I've wondered, do I do I drive this, this thing six or eight months with a documented rebuild and then shine it up and sell it and go get me a 97 to 02 something with a Detroit in it or even a 6NZ Cat or even an N14? without all this EGR stuff, because it just adds so much. Um, yeah. I'm not ready to go mechanical motor. I, I want the efficiency of an electronic engine. But Right. I, let, let, let's touch on that real quick, maybe kind of bring some people up to speed. The first go-around of electronic engines, the mid to late 90s, up until around 2002, 2003, the pre, what we call a pre-EGR engine, 
Those are your most efficient because they are the they are fueled. The fuel that's injected into the cylinder is controlled by the computer, and it's responding in real time to the sensors, you know, on the engine. But there's only four or five sensors on those engine, as opposed to as soon as they introduce EGR, you've got three or four more. Then in 08 year model trucks, you've got diesel particulate filters, DPF. There's three or four more sensors. Adding one sensor doesn't mean it can change the way the truck runs in one way. It can change the way the truck runs in several dozen ways. So you add three or four sensors and you've got hundreds of different ways that it can respond to the conditions you know, the, the air temperature that's going into the combustion chamber, the fuel pressure, the fuel temperature, the ambient air temperature. There's so many variables, and they multiply exponentially. I, I even heard Kevin Rutherford say one time, well, you know, we eventually got it right in cars. You know, back in the 80s when, when they started introducing EGR and, and catalysts and stuff to cars, uh, they didn't run that great either. Huge cuts in horsepower. My, my truck, I, my personal truck is a 1987 Dodge Dakota with a V6. It was 150 horsepower from the factory. It was still carbureted, but it had an EGR valve and it had a, a catalytic converter. All that stuff's been ripped off of it now, so it's not there. But, you know, there were problems. You know, there were issues with 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 ignition timing and issues with, with air intake and combustion and all these different problems. I love to tell the story about my, my truck had a stumble problem for years. I mean, we bought this thing new in 87, and, you know, for 15 years we had this problem. You step on the gas, it would stumble. So after my dad was done with it and I got it and rebuilt the motor and, and still had this problem, and I found this old-school mechanic down in Huntington, West Virginia, that used to work at a Chrysler dealer back in the day, and I took it to him, and he walks out with a pair of pliers, opens the hood. There's three wires going to the carburetor. He cuts one of them. He says, all right, you're good to go. Hadn't stumbled since, I, you know, but, okay, so we did get it figured out on cars, so they say. Cars aren't pulling 80,000 pounds. I'm sorry. The, the abuse that these vehicles go through just to do their job, I don't, I don't think, maybe I'm a pessimist because of all the bad experiences I've had with them, I don't see this problem getting fixed. You you got the the laws of nature and gravity and physics that these these trucks are trying to overcome, and then you're choking them to death. I, I just I don't I don't see it ever being fixed. I I just think it's going to get worse. Well, that's uh, uh, we don't know yet. Personally, I I certainly don't think it's going to get any better. Like you said, we the demands we put on them pulling eighty thousand pounds. Compared to a car, there, there is no comparison. And then we expect to get a million miles out of them. Uh, I'd like, right. really like to get a million miles out of my car. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, they did finally, new, new cars run really well and very efficiently. And, uh, you know, a lot of them go well over 100,000 miles now. They did finally work out all the problems uh, in cars with the emissions. But... Most of our cars aren't turbocharged. Um, All they have is is an EGR system and a catalytic converter, which is a passive. It it relies on basically chemicals inside of it. It doesn't have a computer controlling it. It may have one sensor 
acre in some cases, but not five like our trucks do. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know that they're that they're ever gonna get it uh, get it right like they did with the cars. I mean, in um, cars that, now too, they have efficiency and power. You know, my wife's got right. a 2012 Dodge Caravan. Okay, it's got th- it's got point three liters less uh, less engine than my pickup truck does. But that van, I guarantee you, would smoke uh, probably a, a 94 Mustang, you know, from when I, you know, or, or an early early 90s bone stock uh, sports car. I mean, that, that thing will absolutely eat the earth. And it's, it's efficient, and I got all kinds of power. And that's great. That, that's awesome. You know, we've somehow managed to have the best of both worlds. But... I just don't, I don't see from my limited view of, of engineering. I just believe we have, we've put ourselves in a box that we may not be able to get out of, you know, now, now maybe if we, if we're not burning diesel, you know, I, I see a handful of compressed national natural gas trucks running around I'm assuming, maybe they do, I'm assuming there's no DPF filters on them because they supposedly burn clean. So right. if maybe we have a fuel uh, source that is, air finger quotes here, clean, we won't have to have all this garbage on their trucks and they can just run. Um, maybe that's the answer. But I, it's my personal belief. The market will eventually bring that to us when it's necessary. Right now, oil's too cheap. Correct. It has been, and it probably will continue to be for a long time. Um, and so you can you can cross your arms and hold your breath and stomp your feet and talk about how much you hate oil. But, hey, oil is what we've got. And, of course, I don't believe in all this phony climate change crap anyway. But, you know, the, 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 what always bothers me, especially about people uh, – I try not to use, you know, the words Democrats and Republicans or liberals and conservatives because I think they're flip sides of the same coin. But when you have people who generally lean toward um, climate change and we're going to fix the environment, um, these are the same people who will claim their allegiance for and their passion for the little guy. You know, well, we've got to help the little guy. What do you think? Uh, these EPA regulations have done to the little guy. It ain't hurt Schneider. It ain't hurt Swift. It ain't hurt U.S. Express. It's killing us. You know, owner-operators are being forced into civil disobedience to just say, okay, well, fine, we're not going to do it. We're going to drive old trucks, and we're going to keep rebuilding them and rebuilding them and rebuilding them and rebuilding them until they break, and then we'll tape them back together and rebuild them again. Um, we are the little guy, and which is, you know, hilarious because we're the – majority at the same time uh but they're just they're wearing us out and the the costs that we are having to absorb with these trucks is it's more than we can handle you know and so that's why i think well maybe i just you know maybe i take the grace that i've received um and and go on down the road but then you know just eventually get rid of this truck and 
get something I can work on or something I can deal with and can afford to operate. Well, Chris, that's pretty much what I did, but maybe, uh, maybe that'll be, uh, another show topic for another show. Um, you know, I'm all for clean air. I love it. Um, but the burden we've got on our backs as, you know, one truck or, or small company owner operators, uh, I think it was more than they ever intended, but it is what it is. Um, and as far as the natural gas, um, it may be the future one day, but for now, uh, well, number one, there's less energy in a gallon of natural gas than diesel. Uh, number two, there's no infrastructure for over-the-road trucking. Uh, right. We just don't have the stations to, to fill up on natural gas. So for the time being, you know, whether it be 10, 20 years, who knows, um, diesel is what our trucks are going to run on. Yeah, and I, I still have the idea of maybe, you know, maybe starting a shop somehow. You know, you use my experience as, as the consumer as to what I need and try to, uh, you know, maybe maybe finance the building of a shop, you know, or, or maybe a co-op deal where I go in with a couple other owner-operators and we hire a mechanic um, to work for us and to work for other people and maybe let, you know, kind of feed them to start their own business, um, you know, to, to serve these, serve ours, us and, and, and others in the business. So, well, I guess it's probably about time to wrap it up. Um, thanks for all of your help. Uh, I guess we met just before I signed on with Landstar. So you've kind of been there with me along the, the whole way. Um, I'd have probably gone insane if I hadn't had you to talk to along the way. Um, and and thanks for being on on the show here. I'm going to start uh, a, a more regular weekly uh, show, and uh, so we need we need some feedback from the audience. We need we need you first share 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 share. Uh, the more people that hear about it, the the better it can grow. Uh, and and as I've said in previous episodes, I want this to be something that helps the industry. I want it to be something that helps other drivers. Um, and that can learn from my experience, learn from Dan, learn from Zeke. Um, I've got some other guys I'd love to bring on if I can get the schedules lined up. And uh, but uh, so let's uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thanks, Dan, uh, for your help and being on here. And we'll talk yep. to everybody next time. All righty, thank you, Chris.